You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the After Laugh. I, I, look, I'm so excited about this episode. Although you seem less than excited, Mr. J. Moore. Fired up, man! What are you talking about? <laughs> I say we take it up a notch. Let's take it up a notch. Okay, so I, uh, I met, I met you, Jay, at the the Dime Adam Hunter show at Fairfax, which is a shit show of a show. It's a tough show, and you it's just an open up, mic. You know, it's not like I was surprised to see you there because I'm like, wow, man, Jay Moore's doing this show. Do you I've, do it just to work out new shit? And old stuff too, yeah. like just to work. I like to work. It's just yeah. repetition is the is the secret to uh, to our success. You just yeah, got to keep doing it. So uh, I met you there, and then I started bugging you, say, "Hey, do my podcast, do my podcast." And you were like, "Yeah, hey, talk to my assistant, motherfucker." And then uh, I was in Pittsburgh, and you were well, there. She makes the calendar, in all fairness. No, I know, I know. It wasn't and like I was brushing. No, you were really cool. I'm here, you prick. <laughs> and then we were in Pittsburgh, and you were you were at the Pittsburgh Improv. And you let me do your show, which is fucking awesome. And I got to say, Jay, I, and part of the reason I wanted to have you on, you know, before I went back to fucking Pittsburgh was because I think you were one of the best fucking comics working. And it's it, it amazes me that I don't hear that more in the world, just like around the fucking water cooler or whatever. I, I think what you what you're doing is kind of like next level shit. Your, your Eddie Collins story. <laughs> I mean, you talk about you talk about stuff that's so real and raw and yet you make it palatable and funny to a, a large audience is were you always a comic that was personal or is that something that came like new to you no and i came like um and thank you by the way like what a compliment because i think you're so funny like you're hilarious so you saying that about me it's it means a lot um about six years ago i realized i have to stop writing jokes everything i'm going to say on stage has already happened to me or is going to happen to me yeah and if it happened to me and I say it on stage, if they don't laugh, it doesn't matter. It still happened to me. I'm still just sharing it. Yeah. It's like when you tell a story at a party and doesn't get like a, as big a laugh as you think, you're not like, man, fuck this party. <laughs> I'm going to go down the street and tell it at a different party. It'll do good there. Yeah, yeah. And you don't like try it out. You just try it because you know what's funny. Like if you told the story at a party tonight because something happened to you today, you wouldn't be like, I don't know. Is it going to work? Yeah. Because it's just something that happened to you. So then all the pressure was off and I just took like the act of like sitting down and writing jokes out because that's not a truthful construct. Like, okay, I was watching Turner and Hooch in my hotel. No, you weren't. <laughs> like, no, you weren't. Like every city you go to, it just happened. Everything just <laughs> happened. Every I city was walking on the street to. yesterday, yeah. Yesterday I'm on the street. I'm at the coffee shop. Like, no, you weren't. <laughs> We're in Prague. What are you talking about? Like, talk about something that happened when you were in Prague or yeah. like Pittsburgh or the Mongahela River, that dirty brown uh, so fucking funny. Dateline ID murder river they have there. Yeah, there's a there's yeah, a river Mongahela. in Pittsburgh that is like diarrhea brown. That is the color of it. It is it is runny flu dump atrocious, <laughs> and it's just got such a spooky name. The Amongahela. Keith Morrison should just be out there. Something was brewing at the local car factory. <laughs> Jesus, to really lock up a set around here. I know. No, we when the car keys and transmissions you're gonna hear podcast. a motorcycle coming soon you're yeah there's all sorts of noises happening um, here. what's the name of your podcast it's called the after laugh that's a great name bro yeah so the idea of it for me was like i got i got evicted from my apartment and my life was kind of tits up in a ditch and uh i moved out here and it was i was contemplating death death so after laugh was like the afterlife death 
<laughs> it's pretty fucking morbid. But um, but yeah. So the idea is like I, comics I like and comics I admire. And I, you know, Jay, I, I've been a fan of yours for for a while. Now it sounds creepy, but uh, and I also I think I was a little bit uh, envious of you because you you know you're a great actor. You're a great comic. You wrote a great fucking book. Which one? <laughs> How many books have you written? Um, two, three. When's this come out? With the book about two or three. The book about SNL. Two. That was the first one. Second one was about being a dad, like the obligatory comedian with a kid book. But I interrupted you to be a jerk. Go ahead, please. <laughs> no, but um, and I remember in the SNL thing. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot. Uh, the the Irish bartender scene or whatever. What was interesting about that is I feel that there's so much borrowing and things that go on constantly in SNL all the time. Amy Schumer. It doesn't matter. And people just deny it. People just go, uh, no, parallel thinking, and they move on. And the fact that you you kind of owned it and you talked about it, I thought was so, I think that should be heralded. And I don't know what that looked like in your life, like how that played out. Was that something that... Not well. Not well. Yeah, why? I mean, wh- wh- how did it work because out Because I'll say all this from the vantage point where I am now, and that is older, you know, I'll be 49 next month they can only get you if you give a shit anybody in, yeah. li- in the world like if you give a shit they got you yeah and i gave a shit a lot when people were like on the internet would say like oh he stole that thing from rick Sapiro or whatever i was desperate i was having panic attacks i'm an alcoholic and i was just a fucking drunken panic-stricken mess and i was i thought i was gonna get fired i just took something i thought would never get on air and because just to submit it to the table read yeah and it just like sailed through straight to air. And it like wasn't even that great. And um, Paul Reiser was the host. And then the guy's reps, like I didn't even know he had reps. Like I, it was literally like, it, it was just, it was awful on my part. And then uh, he sued the show. And then Lauren Michael showed me a videotape of it. Like, have you seen this before? And I'm like, nope. Like that's where I said no, moving on to yeah. my boss. And he just said, okay. And I didn't get fired. And, um, you know, then, like, there's times in your life where people, in my life, where pe- two times, really, where people have, like, accused me of being a thief. That time, yes. And the second time, was it's, you've seen my act. Like, the yeah, idea of me stealing is fucking... I, I can imagine. It's impossible. What was the second one? It's not even worth talking about. Okay. But then people are like, hey, man, see more of this. And I'm oh, just like, God. it was a certain podcast with, like, certain, like, crazy, like, following... A lot of UFC stuff. Okay, I got it. And they were just like, <laughs> they go get him. He's wounded. And I'm just like, you guys are just dicks. Like, come see a show. Yeah. Come see a show. And this is an old, this conversation is over if you see me do stand up once. Yeah. So. Because I would say you're probably one of the least hacky, more original comics you can't I've steal, seen. Thank you. You can't steal, like, what happened to you. Yeah. It happened to me. Like, things happened to me. Like, I didn't, like Christopher Walken, Clint Eastwood, Al Pacino, the Chris Farley story. Um, Tracy Morgan, uh, Forrest Whitaker, Keanu Reeves, like just that, that's a half hour. Or it's just like, those are things that actually happened to me. So it just came to the point where I had to like, just put blinders on and put away my rabbit ears and just realize these people are never going to come see you live to see if you steal or not. Yeah. You're not that important. You're not a big shot. And the people that come to see me, they have no concept of the tw- arguments online. No one has any idea they're happening Yeah. until exactly. you put light on them. Yeah. It's like the only power that argument has is the power you breathe into it by paying attention to it. Absolutely. I mean, I, f- I feel it now. Now, I mean, even Louis C.K., what, what happened with him, if he just denied it, 
he'd probably still be working in America. What if he just said, yeah, I jerk off in front of women when they're across the room. I ask them, and if they say yes, I do it. What but isn't that, he, what he, isn't that what he said? No. But yeah, with an apology. What if yeah. he was just like, what's the problem? <laughs> like, if I ever got me too, and I think my response would be like, harass her? No, I was, I was trying to fuck her. Like, what would you say? <laughs> At some point, I got to well, bridge the gap between talking on a couch and having sex. So I thought I would say like, you want to go inside and... Choking my cock. You're a good girl. <laughs> like her, I wasn't harassing her. I, that was the third photo album she made me yeah. go through. And anything that you say, like you'd say that on stage. So if you can say it on stage, why wouldn't you be able to say it in person? I don't know what I would say it on stage. Like I, I just, asked, I just stopped like giving a shit. Like it's. Oh man, I've quoted you so many times about your when you say the zero fucks. What do you say about that again? That's fucking well, so crowd's fun. Like, crowds like to moan, but they're not. I hate moan. I'd rather them be silent or boo, because if they're moaning, you're not sure why. Yeah. So I go, if they moan, I'll go, let me tell you guys something. I've been divorced twice. I've gotten sober twice. I've given the IRS $700,000 twice. I am all out of fucks. Yeah. So And I feel like whenever you do that, the audience kind shit. of, they like they relax a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and the other one, I say, it's like a lot of it's like strategy. Like if I say it that up front, it buys me leeway. And then if a joke they're not sure of, a lot of time that's because I'm not sure of it going in. And what they don't realize is I've kind of limped it in. Yeah. Without like that confidence and that swagger. And I'll go, let me tell you guys something. I've been doing comedy 32 years. If the show sucks, it's you. Yeah. And that always gets a big laugh. And they're really just laughing at themselves. They're laughing at like, oh, yeah, he does know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that just like buys me time. Yeah. What, one thing I also admire. Is that dog in the Dodgers? Yeah, that dog's crazy. He's got blue ears. Is it Myanmar's in the background with me? their dog, Doodlebug? Is he he, he's me? not going to bite you. He's, he's you. barely alive. It's a little slow response is whether a dog would bite me. Come on, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice muscles. You're really pretty muscles. Uh, so uh, I want to talk to you about. Uh, I was talking to you, Billy. Yeah, I want. Uh, first of all, one of the things I want to talk to you was really interesting. If you don't mind talking about, you're the, good at this. You're the, good at podcasting. The, am I? Yeah. Well, I just think you're fascinating. What you told me that you do life coaching. Yeah. And then you kind of did a life coaching in front of me. I was like, man, you know, your you know people. I did do one in front of you. How? Well, well kind of. You know, with with that that lady. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, how did that come about? How, is that something that you just kind of fell into? Well, I'm in a couple organizations that end with A, <laughs> and, I, and neither of them are about eating or sex. So I have to take a daily inventory every day. I have to meditate every day. I got to oh, just wow. be accountable every day. And so when you do that, it's sort of like emptying yourself, emptying your ego, like draining it entirely. Like if you assume you're the problem, it's with like pretty good clarity you see when you're not. And that was like my mantra when I was going through uh, problems like in my marriage. I'm like, this isn't me. So just that constant work and that, like working on myself. Yeah. It's just you learn like in a 12-step program, you learn like pretty good tools for you get to identify like different behaviors and stuff. And then just being a comic, like we just study people for a living. And like I've always been fascinated with people and evolutionary psychology and psychology specifically evolutionary psychology like why yeah like why do kenyans win marathons like why why do you know why do we have doubt and fear and anger it's because we're new as predators like a shark's done it for millions of years we've been doing it ten thousand, so we're like i don't know yeah so then i just through my podcast when i was getting well i did it publicly like i really cracked up billy like i went to a mental hospital twice to ask for a bed, but I was at the improv both times the next night. So I was like, oh, I can't cancel and do that to Rita. Yeah. I was like, excuse me, do you guys have, mm, never mind. <laughs> and then there was a wrestling practice on the Sunday also in the morning. And that was like the paddles, like clear. Yeah. They like jump started me again. And so now I just realized if I do stand up and wrestle 
and coach wrestling rather uh, proactively. I could stay out of like mental hospitals asking them for beds. Like I was really fucked up. Yeah. So then just doing that work and doing it publicly on my podcast, people started emailing me like, so what do you think I should do about this? What do you think I should do about this? Uh. And then I started spending like most of my time answering those kinds of emails. And I thought I should monetize this because it takes up a lot of time and it drains my energy because yeah. I'm, I'm an intuitive too. So then I just started monetizing it and I just named the price and it was really low and it was too low. And it was, then I raised it and I raised it again. And people are still like, you know, I do about a half dozen people at a time. That's much, about as much as I can do without yeah. like confusing stories. Like, so how's your blind mom? <laughs> like, my mom's deaf, you asshole. <laughs> I said that like Norm. So, uh, hey, how's your blind mom? You know, she can't see anything. Just bumping into walls, you know. Ah, sorry, she's deaf, you know. So she can see, you know, she can't hear. Um, so then I just started doing it. Um, I set up an email account, coachjj37 at gmail.com, so people can email me. And it's uh, 200 bucks gets you 11 emails back and forth. Like 300 bucks is two Skypes. Yeah. With the emails. Do you have people that can just call you whenever they want as part of yeah, the package? Yeah, yeah. A few. But those yeah. are ones that have been in it for like a couple of months and they're like, there's big stakes. My first client was important. You know, it was, it was a, it was a sports, uh, it was, a, it was a, how do I say that without breaking a non-disclosure agreement? It was somebody uh, involved with a sports team. Okay. It wasn't a player. It was it was way up. Yeah. And uh, I saw, like, when I was on the road, I would see, like, what I was helping with play out in, like, newspapers. Wow. And I was like, oh, this shit works. Yeah. And I knew the person was doing it because I'd read the quotes, like, that I said, like, in the newspapers when he was interviewed. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow. And is the basis sort of evolutionary psychology, or is it, I mean, a lot of people in LA do landmark form. Is it, is, it's not religious based at all, obviously. Is it just sort of no. cognitive behavior therapy, or? It's a really good question. There's no one way. You know, I just did this pilot, this TV show where I'm a life coach. It's a reality show. Like, oh, wow. we went to people's homes, like families that were fighting with, like, severely disabled kids. There was, like, a guy that was going to tell his best friend he slept with his girlfriend. They almost, like, got in a fucking brawl in front of me. I'm like, this ain't the Jerry Springer show. Like, we got to chill out. <laughs> like, a couple that isn't having sex. He wants too much. She doesn't want it at all. And she was fine, bro. Yeah. Yo. Like, she was <laughs> fucking lights. I'm like, mm, I think she just want to have sex with him. Oh, wow. I'm like, asexual. Like, you have a memory, like, when you feel it. Anyway, so there's no one way for it to go. The, the thing that's the most common is... I don't like life coach. I've just surrendered to it. I'm more like an optometrist. I change the lens that people are looking at things through. Yeah. So someone will email me and go, I wish I had, I'm mad at myself because I can't take my sons on vacation and this and that, and I can't do this. And I don't know where my next job's coming from. And I'm like, yeah, that makes you like a fucking person. Yeah. Like, but what's, what's the real thing here? And by the way, like you're emailing me from vacation with your sons and I just have to like refocus what the problem is. Yeah. And that's what we do together. And I always start with the same sentence. I feel blank because blank. Yeah. And use a one word emotion for the first blank. But you got to dig deep. Like think of, uh, there's your motorcycle. Think of uh, emotions like primary colors. Like don't go, I feel frustrated. because. Like keep going, keep digging. Yeah, yeah. Because, and then that's when they write the big long tome about why they feel the first thing. And then I just kind of go through that like in a decoder and I just yeah. pick out things that jump out to me. So I It's very, very, very hard to explain. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I... I, I got I my see. laptop. I could just pull some shit up for you. <laughs> I do want to kind of get, get your story kind of coming up because I know you, you're, you're born in Jersey. 
yeah. and I know the BJ story. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what what, what was you, what, and I know you were like a, a wrestling stud too. But that's kind of the extent of what I know about you growing up, and I don't even know how you got into comedy and acting, and which came first. Well, I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records. I'm the only eight-year-old in New Jersey who was twice bitten in the balls by snakes. You're fucking joking. I am joking. <laughs> it's off the top of my dome, son. I was like, that's fascinating. I came up in New Jersey, real suburban. Where in Jersey? Verona. It's like uh, Giant Stadium is halfway to the Lincoln Tunnel from okay. where I live. Okay, okay. A lot of Little League, a lot of houses too close together. Yeah. But nice. And uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of bush and i tried stand up for the first time at 16 and then there was a, it was an open mic on a sunday like at noon in front of other teenagers yeah and then they said like why don't you come uh so right away that first set you like yeah of course I'm, you know what i apologize fir- the first uh the first set you did well had you been a, had you been a fan had you been studying it was something you yeah were- like i was obsessed i had like long like four hour vhs tapes of stand-ups like six minutes at a time four minutes like all like spliced together yeah like just mush like every letterman every tonight show i just recorded it waited for the comedian to come out star search yeah evening at the improv like anything and you knew you wanted to do it or you just no i just was obsessively watching stand-up and then there was a comedy club in the next town rascals in west orange yeah. new jersey it's still and then- there right no, no, no. It's a bank now. Oh, okay. They went a long way to prove a point. <laughs> and um, it said, hey, if you're a teenager between the ages of 13... By the way, they explained what a teenager was in the commercial. If you're a teenager between the ages of 13 <laughs> and 18 and think you can do stand-up comedy, come on down to wrestle comedy. And I was like, oh, that's why. I'm a comedian. Oh, wow. So I put together three to five minutes of material, like they said. It went by in like a minute and a half. My memory of that day, I could tell you what the bits were, but they're, you, it's you not, remember the bits, but it's not truthful. Of course, what's yeah. weird is when I watch tape of that day, I have no idea. I honestly don't know what I'm saying when I watch it. <laughs> Somebody showed it to me like t- maybe 20 years ago when I was at Rascals, and it was like a different language. I honestly didn't understand or un- what I was saying. Like the cadence was weird. Everything was. I thought it was like. You know, I'm athletic. I'm captain uh, in school. I play a lot of sports. I'm captain of the miniature golf team. <laughs> this year I was out for uh, the season went injury. I got hit by a windmill. <laughs> That's kind of I'm funny. I'm a bedwetter, but, you know, from the top of the dresser. Like, these were, like, my first jokes. Yeah. I come from a big showbiz family. My mom's an actress, Chaka, from Land of the Lost. Just stupid. <laughs> but then when I watched that special, none of those jokes were even, none of them were born yet. Yeah. And I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> But I remember specifically like writing those bits down. It's like a rip in the space-time continuum. But, but you understood the structure of a joke early on because a lot of people, when they go on stage, they don't even know how. From watching to, it so much. Yeah, exactly. From watching it so like there's a lot of comics I know like, like oh I don't even really watch com- like hipster comics like I don't really watch comedy. I just it's speak like, my truth, man. It's like well then you're a fucking idiot because then how do you know how this goes? Yeah. Like if you're a football player and you don't know what a jet sweep is until you play the Rams and they run a fucking jet sweep and you go what was that? What's that play? Yeah. I want to learn that. Yeah. I want to talk like that guy talks. Yeah. And did your parents, were they supportive when you, was there a moment where you're like, mom, dad, like kids now, like I'm gay. And like, it was like, mom, dad, I'm a comic. Was there a, a moment where? Yeah. Like the open mic, I was going to do comedy. My parents were always like very passively, very supportive. Yeah. Like real passively supportive. They were never like, I don't know. If I had to go into, like, Manhattan for a show, they're like, you can take, like, a couple times, my dad let me take his car into Manhattan. In hindsight, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Like, I was 17. I wrestled at 129 pounds. 
and I'm taking like a fucking Cadillac Brahm into Manhattan. <laughs> mm. And I won't be home till 1 a.m. Um, I'm, I had these weird gigs. Yeah, there was a time where I woke my parents up where I did two shows at Catch Rising Star. So I was 18. It was like right at the end when I was living at home. And I woke up my mom. I go, Mom, I had really great sets tonight. <laughs> and like a year later, it came out. She thought that night I woke her up to tell her I had really great sex tonight. <laughs> so she was like, that's really nice, dear. You're like, I got the approval. Go to bed. I'm like, oh, she was kind of cold and terse about that because she thought I woke <laughs> up to tell her I was fucking all night. <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious. And then I remember, um, you know, there was gigs like I would drive eight hours to Buffalo for 50 bucks on a school night. And you were still in college at this point? Or? No, I was in high school. You were in high school and you were driving. F- oh, wow. So it was a Sunday night gig. So I left at like... I guess like eight in the morning. Yeah, like eight in the morning from Jersey, and I drove all the way to Buffalo, so I had time to like stop and take an hour nap someplace. And yeah, stuff. and your parents knew you were doing this too. Yeah. Wow. And then I remember that night I was opening for somebody in Manhattan. I had to drive them back to Manhattan from Buffalo. That's, that's a different time. I went up twice. First time I was by myself, and I remember I jerked off on the Pennsylvania Turnpike twice coming home so I wouldn't fall asleep at the wheel. And That's I, great. At that age, you jerk off, it wakes you up. Yeah. As opposed to now. Well, for Right. Me. You're right. Yeah. yeah, it makes you sleepy now. I'm like, what am I doing? And I remember I got in at like 7.40 in the morning, and I pulled my car into the high school parking lot, and I walked into the first period French, bleary-eyed, with a $50 bill in my pocket. And I realized none of these kids have 50 That's when lunch was 2 bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, none of these guys have, like, 50 bucks in their pocket. And I looked at my teacher, who had a master's in French, and I realized she doesn't have 50 bucks. Yeah. Fuck school. This is over. Yeah. I just got to get D's, and I'm out. That was, so this is your senior year this is happening. Yeah. I was so, 17. So 17. So you just, I'm just going to get through school, just finish it, just to, for whatever, for the... And it was close. Yeah. Yeah. I think they just did it so they wouldn't have to teach me again. <laughs> that was a fucking pain in the ass. Were you really, were you suspended? You were like, a, tell me about the wrestling thing. You were like a, a, a were you state champion? No. Jersey's like. Jersey's crazy a good. Barrel of crabs. Like it's, it's not like other yeah. states where you like you could, that's an option. Yeah. It's not like Delaware. Unless you're in, like if you're a Jersey state champion, you're going to the Olympics. Yeah. I was good. I was captain. Um, I love it. It's like the, more than stand-up. I love wrestling. I love really? co- coaching. I love more than stand-up, yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Because you change someone's life, and you see it. You see the progression. You see somebody get it. Yeah. And I like to give with conditions, Billy. Like, I'm a drunk. I'm an addict. So if I give you like a... I send you a card in the mail, the clock starts ticking like, he hasn't thanked me for his card yet. What the fuck? Yeah. That's not why you give somebody a card. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. To wait for them to go, hey, that was cool. You got me a card. So in wrestling... They can't give me anything. They they don't thank you. Like a couple no. kids will like pull you aside and go, "Hey, thanks, coach. Today was really great. Thanks." The only thing they can give me is me seeing them feeling better about themselves. Yeah, like that's my whole thing in wrestling is just getting a kid to understand that I'm not lying to him when I tell him there's a better version of him and he's going to fucking become it. But we can become it faster and work on a better version of that guy. Yeah. And wrestling can be a tool to become that person as well, obviously. Wrestling is the best thing in the world. Wrestling is that thing. Why do you think it is? Because it's just primal and it goes back Accountability. to... Accountability. Yeah. If you don't work, you're going to lose, and you'll know that that's why you lost. Yeah. And you're not... The opponent is one thing, but you're really just... Everything you ate, like when you're like sucking wind, it's, it's only six minutes. Yeah. 
There's no timeouts. Just going. Like yeah. you go out of bounds, you just walk back, bang. You just go again. In between periods, they flip a coin to see who's on bottom, who's on top. Bang. You just keep going, keep going, keep going. So, like, if your diet was weird, like, if you had chocolate chip cookies that week, you know it. You're yeah. the only one that knows it. And your coach knows it because he's watching your performance be shitty. If, like, you skipped weights and, like, you skipped cardio, you know it. Yeah. And were you that kid in high school that you had the presence of mind to be that disciplined? No. <laughs> no, like, I didn't give a shit about weight. Like, I didn't cut weight ever, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, my senior year, I have two gold medals, and they're at 140 because I didn't make weight at 132, 133, 134, excuse me. So it was 134, I didn't make weight. I was, like, three pounds over, like, whatever. <laughs> so I wrestled at 140, but I didn't have a record at 140, so I was the last seed. So it would be, like, 12 kids in the tournament. I wrestled the one seed first and beat them, like, 5-3. Wow. So the next match, I'd wrestle, like, you know, the five seed and beat him, like, 10-2. And then for, like, the gold medal, I'm wrestling, like, an eight seed, and I would just, like, pin him. But I'm eating, like, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches the whole day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oranges and bananas and fucking chocolate chip cookies and just, like, ah, you guys are fucking sucking weight. I got a gold medal. <laughs> Shut up. And were you just twice. always were you always an athletic guy? Is that was that part of your upbringing? I'm not very athletic. I'm definitely like wrestlers aren't athletic. They're wrestlers. But huh. like I love baseball. I was not a very good baseball player, but I was pretty passionate. Yeah. Like I still love it. Yeah. And uh, wrestling and baseball that was my thing. And I like to you know like to do stand up. Yeah. That's very monastic life. What stand up? You, you mean just being and on the road? Like yeah, all the things I love doing are things you do completely alone. And I suffer from, like, crippling loneliness. Yeah. Like, I'm medicated for it. And now, what do you mean crippling loneliness? Do you mean just... Like, I can't get out of my bed. Yeah. Like, depression, really. Yeah. And the things that bring me the most joy are things I do alone. Like, stand-up, even if you're not on the road, you're doing it alone. You yeah. can't tell your roommate what it was like to fucking kill because he works at California Pizza Kitchen. He doesn't <laughs> know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. So it went good, like... No, it didn't go good. <laughs> I could feel the fucking energy of all these people at once. I controlled time. Yeah. I got right to where the balloon would break, and I stopped, and I let them up the hook. Like, it was an act. It was like a high-wire act. And, like, wrestling, you can't explain that to anybody. There's yeah. no, wrestlers don't tell wrestling stories. Like, football guys are like, remember that time we did a student body left, and you fucking pancaked that guy? And Or, like, you had that interception that time we won the, or that baseball game where you had the no-hitter? Wrestlers never tell stories like that. Yeah. No, you're right. It's too much work. It's too much fucking work. It's every day, all year long. Yeah. It's crazy. And do you, when you wrestle, I mean, do you still get to wrestle? Or is I it wrestle every day when I coach. Oh, wow. It's off season now, as you can tell. <laughs> as he rubs his fucking booty belly. No, I do, uh, I, I can, I do jujitsu, which is kind of it's like. very similar. Gay wrestling. No, it's. Uh, gi or no gi? I do gi because I'm fucking old. I don't want to get. You're not slippy, slippery fists in my face, but um, but I was a, before that I was a yoga teacher, and as a yoga teacher I was doing by drugs. Way, I, I was I'm sorry. Drinking. By the way, I wasn't saying that nogi is gay. I was being, <laughs> I, I was being like, yeah, right. Like you're not gay when I said because you're not gay. <laughs> that's what I meant. So yoga. Yeah, I know. Not, no, I'm not gay. Anyway, I was a yoga teacher. No, you're um, not. <laughs> I've and, tried. And uh, and I was drinking and smoking and being a fucking whore. In Manhattan, and getting up at nine in the morning teaching yoga, like I was some spiritual guru, and it was bullshit. And then when I started jujitsu, if I did that and I showed up to class, I felt it. I was I was, you know, getting pinned by fat, dumb people who didn't know how what they were fucking doing. 
but exactly that. I felt like totally accountable. And I think that uh, it made me quit yoga instantly because I was like, no, because some, there's something wrong really about like that. I like jujitsu. Like when I've, you know, I've taken since as an adult, I've taken it a lot. Oh, you have? And like I never took it long enough to get like a belt test and I would just go to a different place and yeah, start yeah. over. Like, no gi? Gi. I just like rolling. Yeah. And the thing, it's just it, the spatial relations. It's so good for wrestling. Like just the unspoken, I know where you are at all times. Yeah. And like my head against your body, like I take away your space. Yes. The way I want to take away your space. Yeah. I spanked the girl once and she laughed because I bent her over with my head <laughs> and her back. <laughs> and she started giggling. I'm like, what's so funny? She goes, you just bent me over a chair with your head. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of wrestlery. I've actually, I've actually said this before. I think that like, I think about, uh, I never think about sex during jujitsu, but during sex, I think about jujitsu a lot. Cause I'm like, yeah, what if I put her in a, a lot? Yeah. Like I'll put in half guard. Ooh, I just passed her guard. Now I'm in North South. <laughs> I thought that too. It's hilarious. <laughs> and like a lot of times, like it, it's similar, like, cause I'm pretty dominant in sex and it's just like removing space. Yeah. Like, I don't need ropes to keep you still, sweetheart. Yeah, exactly. You said that, you said a Amateurs. comment about, like, uh, offense is about um, the difference closing space. The difference between offense and defense is air. Yeah. On defense, I got to create it. I got to get some of it. I got to, like, run from you and create air. Yeah. And on offense, I have to take it away. Yeah. I need all the air. Like, you picture, like, a cheetah chasing a gazelle. The gazelle runs away trying to create more space between the two. The gazelle closes the gap and takes the air away. Yeah. That's ex- yeah, that's exactly what jujitsu is. That's a, that's a perfect analogy. Come on in. Hi. Do you Hi. feel? Who cares? No. Hi, I'm Jay. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Carolyn. Oh, we have a. Yeah, of course. Um. Oh, okay. Brought a motorcycle too. That's a cool helmet. What monster is that on your helmet? What's your favorite kind of dinosaur? Hold on, wait, Carolyn. Do you want a microphone? We have one set up. You sure? Okay. She'll learn. <laughs> so, uh, one things I want to talk well, to you. you ed- this isn't live. You edit it, so just do your. You know. Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna. We're edit this shit. So, um, I also want to talk to you about how you how you got into imp- impressions because like, do this first is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, don't there. Do, don't do both. No, I got it. When sitting, sit. When standing, stand. Above all, never wobble. Whoa, I never heard this that. This is That's wobbling. Okay, okay. Just check it out. Make sure it's everything you need. It's weed. Um, so, how, how, like, a lot of comics think, like, oh, you're an impressionist or you're a comic. Like, there's kind of, like, a weird, like, red line that some people draw. And you do both kind of seamlessly in a way that I don't see people do. How did impressions come about for you? Was that something that you were always good at as a, as a kid? I was, actually. I think that happened before stand-up. Uh, like, I was always doing impressions. For your family and shit like that? Yeah, my friends. Like, I always felt like I had to explain, like, movies to my friends, kids my own age. Like, I yeah. remember when I was eight, I saw Stripes. So I oh, remember yeah. I was in my friend Mike's garage just explaining the movie to them. And then Bill Murray's like, there's something wrong with us. There's something, something very wrong with us. And yeah. Like, in hindsight, I, I was, like, doing impressions of all those guys. Yeah. What was the first impression that you did where you felt like, oh, wait, I have a gift for this. This Andrew is Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy, man. I've never heard Andrew McCarthy. Can you still do it? It's not. A, it's a visual. It's just like, I, it was a big, It was like a closer. Like, I love her, man. It was just big eyes. For <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He would like flash his eyes and stuff. Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> but that movie where he's like sleeping with Rob Lowe's mom. Oh, yeah. Like, what was that? I love her, man. 
<laughs> and then I did like Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn and um, oh. whatever Vietnam movie they did that was atrocious. I would love to hear Michael J. Fox. Hey, you know what? I, I, I got to see the movie again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like basically one guy's like, you motherfucker. And the other guy was like, oh, geez. <laughs> the whole movie like, oh, by golly, it. <laughs> and then the first like when I knew I had power was when I did Arsenio Hall when his show was up and running. Because yeah. It didn't really seem like he listened to the guests. So doing impression, and that's when I first started acting on stage. So I was nineteen, eighteen, nineteen. I would do like Arsenio Hall interviewing Lyle Alzado, who's on the Raiders, and he was riddled with cancer from steroids. It was like before he died. Like oh yeah, months, I remember that. Months, it was months before he died. He made the rounds. Says, "Don't do steroids. You're gonna wind up like me." And then I would make myself cry, but I would make myself fucking cry. Yeah. Like him, and the crowd got really uncomfortable. So <laughs> I guess now, looking like at this moment, I'm realizing there's a history of me making crowds really uncomfortable. <laughs> but I let them off the hook, and then Arsenio would be like, "Yeah, I heard you played on a team or something, <laughs> and like something wild happened. What was wild <laughs> when you was playing with that team?" <laughs> and I would do De Niro on that. Like then, then I, that was like a place I could have all the impressions sit. Yeah. And do be with Arsenio, like De Niro and Joe Pesci, like. I heard you did a movie or something, and like something happened. What's that about? <laughs> Crazy, man. It was, it was just goofy. Yeah, yeah. My SNL audition, I did like, I did De Niro and Pesci as Batman and Robin in Raging Bull. Is there a tape of that out there? No. Oh, shit, man. De Niro and Pesci as Batman and Robin in Raging Bull. Do you remember what you said? Stop eating, you fat bat bastard. You're like a fucking nut. You fucking broke the fucking bat pole. Your belly's hanging over the fucking bat belt. You fucking stuttering prick. Fucking stop eating. That's all, you fucking... And like just him going like, I don't know. I hear things. I hear things, Robin. You got all the answers. You ain't got the right answers. I find out different what happened with the Joker. I'm going to fucking kill somebody. Well, kill everybody. Kill the Joker. Kill me, you fat fuck. Do me a fucking fat... Well, you put you with them. And it just went on and on. And then, I, like, Andrew McCarthy showed up, and I was doing, like, fucking Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> like, like now I'll do, like, the Barefoot Contessa. Like, I like doing impressions that, like, people go, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I watched that show. I didn't know. That. I, like, I love when I watch impressions, and you know the impression could be done. Yes. Like, the first time I saw David Gee at the improv do Alan Alda, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's kind of like Vin Scully, but it's not. Or like whoever's running for president, you're like, how's anybody gonna do George Bush? Yeah. And then Dana just does it. Yeah. And you're like, all right, that's it. Like, how's anybody do Al Gore? Yeah. And then Daryl Hammond does it. And you just wonder, like, how is like whoever's gonna be the next president? Somebody's gonna do an impression of him. Yeah. And we don't know what it is until they crack that code, and then we all just run in behind them. Well, one of the impressions that you did in Pittsburgh uh, that I had never seen an impression of, and it was the best impression, probably the best impression. The only impression I would say was as good was. J.D. Witherspoon did his father's voice, John Witherspoon. I don't know if you know him. But I was like, that's kind of cheating because it's your dad. But your Colin Quinn is... Right. It, it's <laughs> What's her name again? Paulina or something? She, you know, she's on a motorcycle with high heels. <laughs> I'm Carolyn. That's what I say. Something close to that. <laughs> and you said... And you, <laughs> And when we were at the Pirates game, you, you were like in Colin Quinn. You like basically method actor impressions, man. You were in Colin Quinn like mode. I do get into it. Like it's once you're in that Galaga beam, you can't get out. Yeah, and then it so feels I like told it, you, I think I told you that weekend a couple of times. Like I have to stop, or I won't be able to stop. <laughs> because you, do you like, feel like it makes you think like him? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, that's the fun. Like when I'm acting, and you've done a take like 50 times, I'll be like, 
how would Colin do this? What would Dennis Miller say? What would this guy say? Like, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, but then just say it as yourself. Yeah. And when you think as Colin, you think in the most obscure references, like, all right, did Billy Dawes' podcast. I'm on a patio with a trampoline reading Canterbury Tales, you know? <laughs> all right. Not a big fan of the Trosser, I see. <laughs> so, yeah, when I do the impression, like, I think like that person, like, I really sort of, I don't want to sound precious. It's just plain make-believe, but it's like, yeah. I sort of, the best way I can explain it is I, sh- I shift whatever's like in, behind my sternum, like that, that rod, like your ism, I shift that into, like if you're putting a pole into like a pole hole, yeah. I just like shift that into the person's like their spine where their like shaft is, their ism. Yeah. So like if I'm doing Pacino, I just, sometimes I'm doing it, I'm like, holy shit. Like you my feel first it. Instagram post as Pacino was, I was alone in my apartment. I'm like, this is the best this has ever been. Like, we're in Craig Gask territory, because, like, <laughs> his Pacino fucking scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Like, it's it actually scares me. It's so good. And I was, like, right around that rarefied air, and I was like, so I just did Al Pacino as the coach of the Portland Trailblazers. Like, it was just, it was idiotic. I want to hear it. Evan Turner, <laughs> this is a four for five big shot. How many fouls does CJ have? Three, <laughs> that's not good. Where's Wade? Wade, sit down, Wade. Hoo-ha. I hate doing hoo Like, that's the only way an audience knows who you're doing if you do, like, some fucking catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely method out on the impressions. Like, when I do Colin, it's a problem. Like, my face gets all fucking... I get wrinkles from doing Colin. <laughs> and Colin and Harvey Keitel is, like, the same impression. Yeah. Like, Keitel's like, what the fuck was Joe thinking? What the fuck was Joe thinking, you know? <laughs> you just had a, you know, it, yeah, and you're doing Colin. It's the higher register. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Kermit and Ernie is the same voice. Tracy Morgan and Pacino is the same voice. Like, Kermit the Frog and Ernie on Sesame Street, they don't even try. Yeah. Like, nobody realizes that. Like, hi, old Kermit the Frog here. Here I am uh, at the house of the three little pigs for Sesame Street News. Uh, hey, hey, Bert. Uh, hey, Bert. It's the same voice. Yeah, yeah. I've lost mine tonight, so I'm not doing a great... <laughs> No, it's fucking like Grover and uh, Miss Piggy is the same voice. Can't Grover and Miss Piggy? Oh, yeah. Like, that, hey, yeah. like, near? Far. Yeah. So, like, Tracy, like, yeah. Al Pacino, yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's just kind of the same impression. It's like a cheat. Do you, do you ever... Um, now, I want to talk about acting a little bit because I think the first introduction for a lot of people in the world to you was, was Jerry Maguire. That was my first movie, yeah. That was your first movie? Yeah. Fucking hell, that's a pretty big now, first movie. You were, you were fucking knows great in it. You were so good in it that I was like, this guy's a fucking douchebag. If I see him, I'm going to fucking... still think that. I'm going to fucking punch him. Ultra what? Cock? <laughs> I'm drinking Dawes bang. Is drinking bang and on the, on the um, I gotta keep lid, it says ultra cock. C-O-Q. <laughs> oh, yeah. CoQ10. Um, so now SNL, how does she know the fucking code to get into your apartment? Because she, she helps me out. She's the midnight rambler. (laughs) The one you've never seen before. (laughs) Um, so, uh, I want to hear a little bit about how the SNL thing, how the SNL thing happened because were you, were you, were you already blowing up on the, on the comedy scene in New York at this point? Or was it kind of more uh, of a fluke thing? You don't thing? know when you're blowing up. Like, it's not until hindsight you realize like you were doing some damage. At yeah. the time, you're always playing catch up. You always want the next wrong, the next wrong, the next wrong, the next wrong. And then you look back, you're like, 
And I was the shit. Why was I so angry all the time? <laughs> who took? Who was the first person that kind of took you under their wing and was like, "Let me help you with comedy. Let me show you the ropes." Did you have like a? There was a, a road comic. <clears throat> there was a road comic, Mark Wild, uh-huh. who saw me at an open mic and he said, "You want to go on the road with me and open for me?" And I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "All right. What are you doing tomorrow?" I'm like, "Nothing." He goes, "I go. Well, I got school." <laughs> And he goes, what time are you at school? I go, 2.36. And this is when you're in high school still, yeah. Yeah, and he goes, I'll pick you up at Willowbrook Mall at 6 p.m. Don't fucking be late. Outside of, like, Marshalls or something. Yeah. Or Penny. I'm like, you got it. And he picked me up in, like, a, a Honda CRX. And we drove <laughs> all over the eastern seaboard, all out to Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Indiana, like, down to North Jesus. Carolina. Rehoboth How Beach, long was Delaware. this tour? Oh, it was just guys doing gigs. Okay, yeah. Oh, so it wasn't one tour. It was like back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember him like getting handed 200 bucks. I was like, wait a minute. Holy shit. Or 250. Yeah. Or 300. And I'm like, 300 five nights a week is $1,500. That would make me over $100,000. Oh my God. Yeah. Like (laughs) that was the pinnacle of like fucking filthy rich. Yeah. Own a car. Yeah, and you're 18 or something like that? Yeah. Fucking hell. So he took me under his wing, and he took me to all these gigs, and we'd just talk about comedy. We, we'd talk about other comics and, like, what we thought they did right, what they did, they did wrong. Like, no, that's just the old switcheroo. Like, his whole act is the switcheroo. Like, oh, yeah. oh, no. Like, guys that dress, you know, they wear certain clothing for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, they go on stage like, I know what you're thinking. Like, no, we're not. You can't <laughs> do fucking stand-up. Like, I can't go on. My my act mm-hmm. is in the, at the dry cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got to be able to just go at any time. Like, you ask a Navy SEAL to go fucking take a hill, don't, he could be in his fucking pajamas. He's going. Yeah, exactly. There, I think there was a, I don't know if this where I heard the story, but there was a guy who would wear this Hawaiian shirt. And he'd be like, you like my shirt? I had to blow Don Ho for this shirt. And yeah, that was his, all of them. And he had to do it for, like, years, apparently. I used to have, I used to have oh, uh, long kind of hair. And I was long doing kind a, of hair? What kind long of hair? kind of blondy hair. Kind of how you looked in Jerry Maguire a little bit, maybe. And I was doing a wrestler a, hair. I was doing. A, <laughs> I look like one of the Hart brothers. <laughs> and I was doing. I a look so, like a Canadian superstar in that movie. Oh, dude! Yeah, man, you were a fucking pimp. But uh, uh, I was on soap opera, and someone's like, "Oh wow, you look like Ellen DeGeneres." So I would do a joke about being on a date, and a girl tell me I look like Ellen DeGeneres, and it was like for the first two years of my. That was my surefire fucking joke. I look like blank. And now and I look I was back. Like, and, Make me laugh, Doogie Howser, and they go, ah. <laughs> that was what you'd say? Yeah, or something like that, yeah. Yeah. It was um, rotating. It was a lazy Susan of whoever was really young. <laughs> like, oh, geez, I guess this guy's got homework in the morning. <laughs> like, I wore my varsity wrestling jacket on stage because that was my jacket, though. Yeah. It wasn't part of your bit. It was like. No, yeah, I didn't yeah. point to it or anything. Or, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I know what you're thinking. What did he blow <laughs> Richie Cunningham for that jacket? <laughs> what did he suck Ralph Mouth's cock? Yeah. I could have just said blow again, <laughs> but I'm a sucker for alliteration. Yeah. Did you, um, so you were doing this with, with Mark Wilde, and what was the point where you kind of, where it sh- transitioned to a, a, a credible, like, New York comedy life for you? And you um, moved to Manhattan, I'm imagining. Yeah, I moved to Manhattan at 18, right away. And then Barry Sobel saw me, saw me at the comedy Legend. Cellar. And he took me on the road with him to San Francisco. Yeah. And we just had a fucking ball. Like, we just went to these parties, and, like, then we went up to, like, we did Carnegie Mellon University together. He was really nice to do that for me. 
And like we would just go to these like frat parties and take mushrooms and just watch people's heads fucking grow <laughs> and explode. <laughs> like ah. <laughs> and then that was how I learned like how not to be about comedy, like because he was really disruptive. Yeah. He was like a diva, but like you got to be a diva to be a diva. Yeah. I mean, there's only one Diana Ross. There's only one Peggy Lee. There's only one fucking whatever. There's only one like you know, insert name a lady here. So yeah. So. Then after that, like, there was people that took me aside. Like, I remember Jeff Garland once when I was 18 at the Comedy Cellar. I bombed at, like, 1.45 in the morning on a Tuesday. And he just, I was just ejected in the hallway. And he goes, listen to me. Like, I didn't really know him. And he goes, you're funny. And he said it to me for, like, five straight minutes, like, with his big hands on my shoulders. <laughs> I was, like, a little skinny dude. I was still wrestling. And I was, like, I just drove home, like, wow, that guy really thinks I'm funny. And he's, like, a big shot, Jeff Garland. Yeah. I was 18. And then I just, just hanging out with other comics. You just get that camaraderie and you just love each other. It's got to be about love, you know? Yeah. And so the the biggest education was just doing it all the time. Because then you get to a point where, like, you're not you're, you're not the underling to anybody. You're kind of like the lead dog in a sled. Yeah. And so then when you're out on the road, you I mean, you can fake it till you make it or you can just do it and just assume that you've made it. Yeah. That's what I did. And did you start doing headlining spots in Caroline's and shit like that in New York? Catch a Rising Star was. You it? want to be New York specific? I remember uh, when I was I would wait around at Catch a Rising Star, and Louis Franda was really nice to me. He booked Catch a Rising Star, and he he was a fan of mine. And then he went on to book Caroline's, and I remember I went on stage to audition to be passed for Catch a Rising Star Princeton. I was eighteen. I remember I passed, which meant I was going to go on the road and be the MC at Catch a Rising Star Princeton. And I remember calling my parents from a payphone. Remember those? <laughs> and like, I just passed. I'm going to be a Catch Rising Star Prince. And they're like, tonight? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think so. Shit. And I like hung up. I ran back in. I'm like, that's not tonight, is it? And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this was a sweetie. So like Catch Rising Star. And then the Comedy Cellar was like the first place I got regular spots. I auditioned for Wild Bill Grunfeld. And he passed me. And, like, the next week, I had, like, a 1.15 a.m. spot. It was just surreal. Yeah. And that's where I felt the most hollow. Like, that's where I was just a tin man, like, just an empty kettle. What do you mean? Because I was like, what the f Imposter syndrome, like, I don't belong here. Like, okay. these guys are fucking great. Yeah. And there's, like, 30 of them. Yeah. And you go on at, like, 1.50 or 2 in the morning or 1.15 or midnight, and there's literally six people there. And the only people that would really laugh in hindsight were, like, other comics. Yeah. Buddy Hackett once said to me, the first time you did comedy, like I'll put it to you, like Bill, the first time you did comedy, you used, where you are now, you're not even halfway to like where you're going to be. You used 0.01% of your talent. You had no idea what the fuck you were doing. But still somebody said to you, what are you doing Wednesday night? Yeah. They saw something in you. Yeah. It's a special tribe, man. Where you just, there's a signal in the noise and we pick up on it. Like, there's open micers going on stage for the first time. You're like, who's this guy? Yeah. You know, that's what I love about comedy. I, it always blows my mind when I go on the road and you'll see uh, a comic. And I don't know, Topeka, where the fuck it is. Who's this guy? And they go up and they're fucking hilarious. And like, oh, here's our resident MC. Yeah. And like, does he know he's so much better? Like, I, where was I just now? I was in Erie, and the guy, like the house I'm seeing in Erie, was a fucking murderer. Yeah. It was insane. He was so funny. And I was like, how do I tell this guy he's outgrown MCing in Erie without fucking up the owner of the club in Erie? Yeah. Because the owner's being nicer to me than this guy because he's paying me a lot of money. 
I don't want him to lose his, but I owe it to the comic to just go, you're a fucking monster, bro. I said yeah. to you. Yeah. Like, you're a fucking big motherfucking headliner, man. Like, you're no joke up there. You're a fucking monster. Well, I mean, I, I, I live in L.A. and I'm... I'm brown, talking but, to her. Okay. <laughs> but, but... She's a big, scary but these, monster. But do you think that there are people... Because there are people who just won't make the jump, right? I mean, part of it is just psychology. People who, who are hilarious. I never said comedy is not about the most talented. It's about the people who are, on some level, most ballsy or most stupid. The most vigilant. Yeah. If you're in a comedy team, to be the most successful comedy team of all time, all you have to do is not break up. Yeah. Like, there's no comedy team in their 70s. Like the Smothers Brothers. Yeah. Like Tenacious D are just the fucking, the single greatest rock and roll act. Forget yeah. comedy. Yeah. And like if you just keep doing it and just just trust that your effort is greater than result. Like effort, effort, repetition. Same with wrestling. There's The parallels are extraordinary. Like it's effort greater than result. Focus, if you, you have to focus on effort. Yeah. You can't focus on result because you'll wind up, you, how many comics you see like, Man, they won't fucking book me because oh. what happened was. It's like, what do you mean what happened was? Then that means it's in the back. That means you have a new start. Like, you, somebody new is there. You can go back to that club. Yeah. No, because, like, they just got a reason why they can't put in a veils. Yeah. Like, well, did you put in a veils this week? No, because what happened was, it's like, then fucking get away from me, loser. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's the guys that just keep putting in the veils, like, Dane Cook took more shit than any comic unnecessarily, like because he got famous. That was his crime. Yeah, was figuring out like the online game. That guy didn't fucking sleep for like four years on MySpace. Remember how long that shit took? Like dial up, wait for one porno picture to download. Just look at some black titties. Then it downloads and there's like a dot over the nipples. You're like, God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll still rub one out though. <laughs> Just out of respect. This is my parents are in the next room. It's hot. So um it's who's the most vigilant. Yeah, it makes like sense. Like a dog fight. The dog that wins isn't the dog that kills the other dog. In a real dog fight, it's the dog that just keeps fucking coming out. The tenacious dog. Eventually one dog curls and goes, I'm not so sure about this, fight's over. Yeah. I get pissed. Okay. Badly. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>